Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. I am coming to you from beautiful downtown Needham at the JBJS oh. offices. Uh, having had a delightful trip out from from Minneapolis to Boston, courtesy of Delta Airlines. Oh, of course. Uh, hour, like hour, and a half, hour and a half late. And then and then we flew around Maine for about 45 minutes, trying to avoid some windstorms. And so I was late for the Harvard uh, Resident Journal Club, but we had a we did it via Zoom and it was a it was a great discussion uh, on a manuscript that we published on the differentiation between uh, responsibilities for the family between male and female orthopedic trainees. Wow. Fantastic discussion topic. last night. Yeah, that's a great topic. But anyway, got home late, so I definitely, definitely need a cup of Joe. <laughs> always, always. Yeah, I'm on the first one. So great. So uh, before we get started, I just want you to uh, enlighten our audience as to I saw another post about your skills in <laughs> in frisbee frisbee see already frisbee. already already you have offended so many of the disc golfers in the world yeah they don't think of it as frisbee but yes yes so disc golfing nearly hole in one nearly uh which I, apparently is difficult uh, i've only tried it <laughs> once and i i couldn't uh i have this border collie that i throw a disc to and yeah, yeah. he's terrific uh, but i don't throw at uh, targets but so my question is what is your preferred uh sport the downhill crazy mountain bike racing or disc golf without a shadow of a doubt it's going down gravity is always fun so i would say getting on a bike being carried up to the top or and then just ride down so for sure and i, I have I've had my opening day at horseshoe valley park which is near in ontario so we went there opening day and it was packed a lot of people yeah. all ages you know uh, yeah. men and women this is great a lot of people enjoying the uh, sun so it's great yeah full full helmets and safety gear oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, 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 so, yeah. Are, will you be jumping out of planes uh, soon uh, no i don't have a desire to do that mark i don't know i just hasn't been something i want to do like that and bungee jumping doesn't seem to be um, no. on my list of bucket lists i maybe no. is it on yours it's not on mine no 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 no, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. so controlled gravity yes so we should clarify yes yes Good. yes yes yeah well this is one of our sessions where we're talking about something that has caught our attention or enthusiasm out of our respective publications and uh i think i went first last time so why don't you, why don't you go first sure. what's, what's on your mind so i mean you know with ortho evidence, you know, we've got several thousand now reports on there. And one of the questions came up from one of our um, our writers, our editors said, you know, have we done anything on the issue of reproducibility in science? You know, can big studies be reproduced and does that give us more confidence? And so I said, no, we should, we should look into this. And it was interesting. And one of our insights, which we entitled the reproducibility in science, a crisis in confidence. Let me give you a couple of just general stats that aren't related to orthopedics and get your take on this, Mark. I mean, certainly I'm sure you've seen lots of this issue or have thoughts on this. So the origins of this crisis, so to speak, and we'll, we'll call it that for now, 
uh, seemed to be in psychology in which uh, open science, there's a collective called open science in which they had showed that only 39% of 100 well-designed, high-powered studies in psychology could be effectively replicated. Cancer biology did the same thing. So they looked at a bunch, they looked at trying to replicate 158 effects from 50 experiments across 23 high profile papers in cancer biology, so very high impact papers. The final report indicates that 92% of the replication effect sizes were smaller than the original studies, so they, things got smaller when they tried to replicate them. And then the overall replication success rate was under 50%, so that was the challenge. And then the last thing I'll, I'll just throw out here, just as a way to get things talking about, there was a survey of about 1500 scientists from multiple disciplines and scientists and around nature and talked and this is the nature journal and they found that 70 percent of these scientists had tried and failed to replicate another scientist's experiments and over half had failed to reproduce at least one of their own experiments in total 90 percent of the respondents believed that there was either a slight crisis or in this case a significant crisis uh, i don't know if this i don't know if crisis can be slight just the way they said it so i don't think there is a thing as a slight crisis yeah but i guess it gets back to the bigger question you know can a single study or should a single study in your opinion or be sufficient enough to change practice and this gets back to the issue of you know, how much replication do we need? You know, when when should our readers or when should practitioners say, you know, I think we have enough evidence here to be able to make a conclusion that we think is one that is accurate? And I don't know the answer. So, you know. Yeah, I don't believe, and I think you would agree that one trial is not sufficient to change practice. It is a invitation to reproduce the effects uh, with with a with a, another trial, maybe with larger sample size or a different patient population, but if I don't believe that one trial should ever be sufficient to change practice. And and you know and you, you know I've talked about this uh, the one I think one of the most highly cited papers from Johnny Nudis I think it was 2015 and he had the provocative title, you know why all published research findings are false. And he used, you know, obviously that, that, that's going to get you looks, right? But it was really interesting in that he said small studies, studies that are based on hot topics, so things that come up really quickly and they get pushed out quickly. Um, like COVID. Like COVID, like COVID. <laughs> and also conflicts, obviously, right? Yeah. The obvious conflicts of interest. Orthopedics has had no shortage of, um, you know, I guess, uh, awareness of all those sorts of issues. And so you can see really why it is so difficult. Like if you look at the majority of orthopedic randomized trials, I think now even to this date, I may be off by a few patients, but I think the median number of patients in a typical randomized trial that gets published is about 90 to 100 patients. By all intents and purposes, it wouldn't be that surprising that future trials might have different opinions, right? Or different outcomes. And then the question is, then we get right back into the issue of noise. You know, what do you believe and how do you move forward? And meta-analysis, I don't know, is always the answer. It's like saying, well, if you take a bunch of small studies, do they really add up to a single large study? I think you'd always pick the single large study because you don't have the individual, quote, biases associated with small studies being compounded as you continue to combine them mathematically. Right. So that's the kind of the, the challenge we face. Right. Um, and it makes it difficult sometimes. Well, let, let me ask you this. So you had some, uh, your group at Mac uh, yeah. had some recent experience with pooling the health trial data yeah. with trial data from other 
Right. How much effect did the did the large health tr uh, trial have on the overall meta-analysis? Yeah, great point. It actually it's a big driver, right? Because you know we yeah. were at over fourteen hundred patients, and the majority of studies were well under a hundred or you know a few hundred patients. So it becomes a big driver in the overall effect, which is one, um, yeah. which has an impact, and and also like health, you know, for the most part showed no difference. It was right on that central line with respect to total and hemiarthroplasty femoral neck fractures, and there were. You know, there were several studies that had shown differences. So it was really driving everything back. Um, so what we found, as you said, when we tried to replicate, and we did the same thing in, in the FAITH trial, as you remember uh, with us, which is, you know, our, the larger trials, for one, um, mm -hmm. seem to have a much smaller effect size than the previous literature and right. you know, on which we were basing it. So it seems to resonate with me that, you know, that does happen. You know, we try to replicate something, the more you replicate, it's almost like a regression. It keeps going down to almost a null. Um, and we've seen that happen time and time again. But then again, what's to say that health is correct? You know, what's to say that you know there'll be trials that someone conducts trials in the future that they might come up with a different answer? And that's, that's a challenge I think we face when we look at the large body of, of history in you know in the sciences. Right. Yeah. But one would expect in the example that you uh, published uh, in OE that with psychological experimentation there should be a greater degree of reproducibility than we yes. see in surgical sciences. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also the, you know, also the basic sciences to your point, right? I mean, yeah. you know, experiments are, are, are very difficult sometimes to replicate. And that's why it's, you know, there's so much scrutiny around new findings appropriately. Right. So let me, let me tell you what, where the variations came from anyways, or where the they were, where the sources were. Maybe you might want to give me a, um, any thoughts on anything that resonates with you here. They said, so reasons for why studies aren't able to be replicated. One is variations in experimental settings, insufficient yeah. reporting of the methodology. So you know, just different That's methodologies, right. yeah. insufficient technical processes or poor execution, yeah. uh, poor experimental design, poor overall poor statistical um, uh, methods and practice, incentives to publish, which I think they're getting into some of the conflicts issues. Fraud was very, very, very rare, but they did bring it up as one of the potential causes of why things you know, don't always get produced. And then heterogeneity in natural settings, which is the big challenge we face with clinical trials, which is, you know, they're just, you know, going from an animal, which is a bit more controlled, or cells to an animal to humans, it's just you just get that much more heterogeneity, right. uh, and there's going to be differences. Right. But in our, in our setting, though, uh, there is a huge advantage to doing multinational, multi-center trials, because you, by increasing the sample size with these different environments, you're, you're lessening the chance that you've got these regional or area differences that are impacting the outcome. But of the list that you read through there, I think the big one from the journal's perspective is lack of detail in the methodology. When people ask me, uh, when I present about how to get your manuscript published, you know, what, what's the area to pay the most attention to? And that's methodology. Uh, a whole lot of detail about the uh, design of an experiment so that it can be reproduced and you know, take the words out of the introduction and use the words in methodology and use tables in the results section and decrease the words there. And then in the discussion, just simply put your findings in the context of the overall subject so that the individual can, can place this in perspective of his or her experience. So I, I think the methodology, particularly 
uh, in the basic sciences and, and Tom Bauer, our deputy editor for basic science uh, has pointed this out in, in the past that uh, there is a lack of detail uh, in basic science that allows a high degree of certainty with reproducibility. You're right. And you know, and I think the, the question also is that is, is having different study findings a bad thing? Not really, right? I mean, like, like no. we, we just say, well, if you can't reproduce it, your, your study is uh, flawed. Well, not really. I mean, so many things change um, that it's not, it's actually amazing that things do get reproduced on large scale in clinical trials. I mean, in, in many ways, but I think, I think uh, um, it's just important that we don't, the message I always take away from this, from the clinical side of, of things is a single study is rarely definitive. Yeah. Um, a, a single large study probably gives you more confidence, but that doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean that we, that for authors saying, well, okay, there's a big trial right now on hip fractures. I guess that's done. No, 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 no. That doesn't mean it's done. It, you have every right to try to reproduce those findings. And it's important that studies that reproduce findings aren't, they're novel because it's actually novel to be able to reproduce something. I think we create the thing of, well, it's the same thing. It's nothing novel. Um, I don't think we should get into that mindset because I think the perception that we've answered a question already puts us, you know, it, you know, on the wrong side of science. I think we have to always assume that these are evolving issues. And um, for those who are budding researchers, take big studies, try to reproduce them. That would be great. That would be very helpful to our field. Couldn't agree more. And and with our combined half a century experience and trying to figure out femoral neck fractures, it remains the unsolved fracture, doesn't it? <laughs> it's the unsolved fracture, there you go. Right, right, after all that. So there you go, Mark. That's worth a toast, right? There you go, that's worth a, a wine or something. I don't know what it's worth, but. <laughs> yeah, cup, a, cup of, a cup of joe. A cup of joe, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a great discussion. Um, and uh, practice should change on the composite of all the information available, whether it's trials or well done, uh, you know, cohort studies or, or, or whatever. Um, and that, that's the real message, but yeah. it is very valuable to try to produce the highest quality evidence in, with large sample sizes to, to move the needle most effectively. So closing out that chapter. So I've got uh, in front of me here, the, uh, the May 4th uh, uh, issue uh, and uh, the lead article, which somebody, I don't know who, some editor somewhere has chosen uh, for this uh, is uh, conditionally essential Amino acid supplementation reduces post-operative complications and muscle wasting after fracture fixation. A randomized controlled trial was done University of Iowa, which uh, we in Minnesota have a struggle with Iowa because I think it's been decades since we beat them in football and they always seem to, to take the wind out of our sails. But uh, <laughs> now uh, let me just uh, say conflict of interest. You mentioned that in our earlier topic. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Hendrickson, who's the lead author, uh, was uh, uh, training there, and he's the lead author, but he's now on our faculty at the University of Minnesota, but that's, that's not why I, I picked it. Uh, and uh, really what I want to talk about with you uh, is the whole field of nutrition okay. uh, as it pertains uh, to surgery. So basically, this was a RCT, not a huge number of subjects, 200 in each group, and these were patients who sustained pelvic and extremity fractures who underwent surgery. Uh, and it's a mixture of high energy and low energy trauma subjects that were matched as well as they could with that number of subjects. Uh, and one group uh, got uh, this supplementation uh, with conditionally essential amino acids, and the other group uh, did not. 
and these patients uh, were followed at six and 12 weeks, and they looked at surgical complications, and they looked at uh, body mass. Uh, and what they found uh, that the fat-free mass um, decreased significantly at six weeks in the control subjects. These were fairly significantly injured people, whereas the fat-free mass was maintained at the six weeks in the CEAA subjects. Uh, it wasn't uh, different at the longer time points, and they had some issues with getting uh, the longer out time frame body mass composition. Uh, something like 60% was all they could get in, in the population. So it was a little bit of an uh, issue there. But um, the complication rate, most significantly, the complication rate was lowered by the CEAA supplement, supplementation. So, you know, we haven't really seen a whole lot of energy in our field of orthopedic surgery around nutrition and its effects. There's been a fair amount of work in hip fracture patients uh, with uh, protein nutrition and paying attention to albumin, et cetera, and trying to right. use supplements. There has been effort there. This new conditionally essential amino acid supplementation, there's been shown to be effect in quadriceps mass following total knee replacement uh, in a smaller uh, trial. Uh, and then there's uh, this trial. So um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the, the potential to impact patient outcomes with perioperative uh, nutrition. Uh, is, is this something that we should go whole hog after in all fields of orthopedic surgery? I think you're right. So if you look, uh, and, and you and I have talked about this in, uh, in the context of let's say fracture care, big innovations, I think now in certain areas are not gonna come from implant design. I mean, that there's been a lot, I mean, there may be incremental changes, but if you look at longevity with respect to even total joints, it's pretty impressive and pretty amazing how far the field has come. That doesn't mean it's not gonna to continue to grow, but we're starting to see other adjunctive approaches. If you look at total joint replacement, which this study is based on total joints, for example, you're starting to see, you know, it's not so much about the implant, it's about how how accurately put the implant in with robotics, for example, that's becoming a big new area. But in hip fractures in this area, it's all the perioperative. And I, you and I have spoken about this a lot about, you know, real advances are going to come from perioperative care. Well, what does that look like? Well, that's going to be anything from, you know, when you get surgery to how you condition for surgery, what sort of rehab you get. And absolutely, this is pretty exciting that if you can maintain or I guess, I guess this isn't, it's, this is about maintaining lean um, mass, right? It's not about like, yeah. so post-surgery, you lose it. And this is kind of like with osteoporosis treatment, you're not looking to gain it and post-surgery, you're just trying to keep it from uh, declining yeah, uh, post-injury. Th this yeah. intervention uh, decreases the lull uh, yeah, after right. severe injury right. And, right. and interventional surgery. Right. And that would make a lot of sense because, you know, getting patients up and moving uh, in any way. I mean, we talk about, you know, appropriate, you know, up, just making sure you've got all the medications, all, all, all the polypharmacy that goes on around managing pain, getting that sorted as one of the areas of focus, managing physiotherapy, but physiotherapy is going to be much more effective if you actually can maintain mass and get people moving quicker. So long story short, I would say, you know, the 
Perioperative care is gaining more and more importance as an area of real focus for surgical outcomes right. uh, in these patients. And so I think this is really exciting. And you did say, right, that there was a study prior. So this is not even like, this is, it looks like it's confirming prior studies. Is that what's happening? Well, it's one, of the, it's one of the early studies in trauma patients. There had been the right. study on total knee with uh, maintenance of quadriceps mass. With yeah, this right. Right, uh, but, right, right, right. The, you know, they had a broad definition of complications and it decreased the overall complications from 43.8% to 30%. Yeah, that's, that's, so, I mean, like imagine, like, but think about any implant AB that would lead to that kind of reduction in risk, right? It's, right. We don't see those kind of big reductions, right? In fact, right. They're, they're more, they're more similar than they're different. Right. It's implant-based or, you know, surgical technique-based. This is pretty dramatic. So this is yeah. great. I mean, hopefully there'll be more on our topic today of making sure we, you know, encourage more research in this area would be great. Yeah. If, if anybody listening to this is stimulated to get involved in this area of research, I think it uh, would be a, a good thing. I know uh, Dr. Hendrickson is, is already planning other studies uh, with this, but I, I really don't understand to be quite uh, candid, what a conditionally essential amino acid is and why this was the selected intervention. But I need to learn more about that as I'm sure many of our readers do as well. But yeah, so that's the message from this uh, part of Ortho Joe is that it's really not a new nail or a, a, you know, a different neck shaft angle in, a, in, a, in an implant or a head size uh, anymore. It's, it's preoperative considerations and it's postoperative rehabilitation that's going to advance our field uh, collectively. So you young investigators out there, go for it. Um, we'd, we'd love to see more submissions uh, in, in these areas. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I, I think it also forces us in many ways and forces a good thing in, in the good context is to become much more collaborative you know, in the conduct of, of these sorts of trials. And so, you know, partnering with our colleagues in physiotherapy and, and, and rehabilitation, occupational medicine, all the areas that and are nutritionists. important for and nutritionists. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the more we can get engaged, um, we're going to solve these sorts of problems through, you know, collaboration. Right. I think silos, silos aren't going to help us, um, you know, deal with the problems of the future. Yeah. I've, I've been known to say in the last, uh, a couple of decades that the only reason to have a specialty is for certification purposes, right? I mean, we yeah. should be working with musculoskeletal uh, individuals, rheumatologists, uh, physiatrists, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, anesthesiologists interested in blocks. We should be cross stimulating one another to get better at managing patients within an organ system sets of diseases or injuries. And forget about this departmental designation, which, as you, the chair of surgery, know, produces a lot of conflict and not a whole lot of benefit. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because the minute you categorize someone into an area, that group now is looking to compete with you know their colleagues, really, and we yeah. should all be working together. So. Absolutely. That's, that's a great way to end. Well, I'm going to be probably going for four cups today after my experience last night. I might even go throw, I might even throw a few Frisbees. Well, how do you, if the sun's out here today, I might even find 30 minutes to throw a few Frisbees. Well, if you do, if you do get that hole in one, I want you to post that immediately. Listen, I record everything and hope that one day I'll get to some miracle shot. And now it'll look like it was the first shot I took, but it won't be the first shot I took because that's just, <laughs> that's just the way, 
you know, we are. We, just, we only show the good stuff. So. Yeah, but the important thing is taking the shots. Right? That's true. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Mo. You have a great day. You too. And don't don't hurt your shoulder throwing those discs. I promise. I will not. Okay. Bye bye. Take care.